Father, we have gathered here today to worship and to praise you. God, we have worshipped you in song. We have sought to worship you with our gifts. God, I, I pray that our friendships... Uh, the time we're spending with each other this morning. Sometimes it's just a, a brief moment that we're sharing something out in the concourse or on the way to Bible fellowship class or something like that, Lord. But I pray that as you watch us relate with one another, I pray it worships you. I, I pray it expresses to you how much we love you. And Father, now we come to a time in which I pray that our, our devotion, our, our discipline to still our heart and our mind and to focus on you, because, God, we want to know you. We want to know all that you have revealed. We want to understand you. Lord, sometimes it's not easy. And, and so, God, I, I pray that in this moment that we give you this time and we seek to, to be still and, and focus our energy, our efforts on knowing you. God, I pray that blesses you. I pray you are pleased as you look down into this room and you watch what is going on. You hear our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray that in this moment as I seek to communicate what you have revealed about yourself, that I will do it faithfully, that I will do it accurately, that I'll be true to you and to your word, Father. I pray you'll guard my words, guide them to do what you want done in this time, in this moment. God, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, I pray that, that something from a relationship to a song sung to the message, I pray it's going to encourage and strengthen and embolden us for the week ahead and the things that are going to be inside of this week. Lord, we lift this time up to you. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of my favorite authors from uh, a generation past is a guy by the name of A.W. Tozier. And he said something that I've actually quoted before. It's one of my favorite quotes. He said, the most important thing about you, the single most important thing about you, is what you think when you think about God. Now, folks, we've begun a series uh, called What Is, we've begun a series that has as its goal, that has as its purpose to broaden, to deepen our ability to accurately, to faithfully think on God. I think this is the highest, I think this is the greatest pursuit that we can set our heart and our mind on to know the person of the living God. And I do believe it will broaden, it will deepen, it will strengthen your faith. And as you remember what we've talked about, we need that. We need a deep faith because there's a deep world out there with deep suffering, deep problems, deep challenges, deep questions, and we need a deep faith to walk through that, to handle it. And hopefully through the course of doing that, we're able to communicate and to share that faith with others who are sometimes drowning in that deepness. Now we're going through this series and we're asking what is questions. We've got 20, 20 what is questions. Last week we looked at what is the Bible and today we're coming and looking at what is God like? And this is going to be a, a two-Sunday uh, sermon. It might feel like two Sundays by the time I'm done. That's just a little warning. Uh, but it's two Sundays. Today we're going to look at the attributes. These are the, the character qualities of God. Next week we're going to look at the names of God. We're going to use the Bible. We're going to use the Bible to answer these questions. As we said last week, folks, in this book we have something that is fully accurate, fully trustworthy. It has what we need. You know, folks, we would know very little specific about God without his revelation. You see, man did not research and discover and find God. We don't have that in us to do that. What we know about God, we know because he revealed it. 
And he revealed himself in the living word, Jesus Christ. And he revealed himself in the written word, the Bible. And as we saw last week, both 100% God, both 100% man. It's an exciting journey we're on. It is an eternal journey that we're on to know God. Do you know that we will never know everything there is to know about God? Not even when we get to heaven. Oh, heaven will greatly advance our understanding and our experience with God. But even when we get to heaven, we'll not know everything about him because God's infinite. And it's impossible to pour the infinite into a finite cup. And you are a finite cup. We can't contain it all. But you know what? He's revealed a lot. And we want to get about the business of studying it and understanding it. Folks, we were designed to know God and to enjoy God. Which means our happiness, our fulfillment is tied to this journey of getting to know God. God, God cared and that's why he revealed. He cares about your well-being. He cares about your future and our best well-being, our best future is in him. Knowing him, living in him, enjoying him. So let's get on with that journey Today, today, as I said, we're going to look at his attributes. These are character qualities of God. Before we even look at them, there's a couple of things we need to understand about these attributes. Number one, God is all of these attributes to its perfection, to its perfection. What I mean by that in a moment, I'm going to say God is love. Well, it's not just that he's love. He is perfect love. In a moment, we're going to refer to his justice. Well, it's not just that he's just. He is perfect just so every one of these attributes that we're going to look at he is that characteristic to its perfection second these attributes all blend together perfectly without competing say well how would something compete well actually there's a lot of times we count on it competing we want god to look the other way at our sin don't we we want him to pretend like we've done our very best and, and just ignore those places we didn't do so good. Well, folks, God is perfectly just. And, and that justice is not going to be dismissed. Justice demands that your wrongs be made right. Justice demands that a penalty be issued. Justice demands that you pay that penalty. But his love comes and pays the penalty for you. His love forgives you. So you see, it's both his love and justice. They're both working together. His justice is satisfied. His love is satisfied. Both are expressed without competing against each other. And that's true of all of his attributes. And all of his attributes are always at work. Folks, that, that statement right there is absolutely foundational to our faith. Folks, our faith, to have faith in God. Have faith in what? We're talking about what today? We're having faith in the content of his character. We're, we're counting on who he is. Well, let's be honest. There's times we don't see what he's doing. There's times we don't understand what he's doing. There's times we don't like what he's doing. And so when I can't process it, when I can't put it together, what God is doing in this world, what he's doing in my life, then what I go back to is I go to these attributes and I know, you know what, while I can't see it, I know in this moment he is being loving. I know in this moment he is being fair. I know in this moment he is doing it with perfect knowledge. And I'm trusting these character qualities of God. And then one last thing we want to understand about these attributes is they are equally true of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That might be somewhat of an obvious statement, but I went ahead and stated the obvious. Everything we're saying is true equally 
of each member of the Godhead. Now, what we're going to do now, folks, is we're going to take on a list. Now, I'll tell you something. I don't like lists. Lists can get boring. And I've been praying, oh, God, may I not bore them. I certainly don't want to bore them with you, oh, Lord. But, but, I, but I struggle with that because we've got a long list to take on today. I'm going to talk to you about 12 attributes of God, and that's not even half of them. But I've picked out 12 attributes that I want us to look at today, and I need you to pray right now, Lord, help me to hang on and not lose them around 7 or 8, okay? Will you do that for me? Here's what I'm going to do. Folks, we're just getting a glimpse. I'm just trying to peek open the box and look in for a second. And what we're going to do is we're going to give you an attribute. We're going to define what that means. We're going to show you some verses uh, where that is found. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the impact of that attribute on your life or on the world. Folks, there's a lot of notes today. Let me remind you, you can go anytime during this sermon series. You can go to our webpage, uh, chbaptist.com. And the What Is Sermon Series logo is there. You click on that and you can get all of the notes uh, that are in the PowerPoint. You can download all those in a PDF file. You can go there and listen to the sermon. You can go there and see all the books that are recommended. So as you're trying to keep up, don't, don't get frustrated because I have worked all week long, been exercising. I'm going to talk as fast as I can for the next 30 minutes. You ready? Here we go. All right. First attribute of God. First thing we want to see about God that he has revealed about himself is that he is eternal god is eternal god exists endlessly forwards and backwards wherever you go in time god is there and every one of these attributes that we're going to look at today is eternal in other words when we give one attribute it's true of all the attributes so when i say god is eternal god's love is eternal god's justice is eternal so wherever we go in time we're going to find god there that's important to know because I, I don't I don't believe I'm going to the past and I'm not aware of any time machine, but I am going to the future. I am going out there to this week. I am out the, going out there to heaven. And when I get there, I want to know that God's going to be there. I've invested a lot in this, right? Well, God's eternal. He's going to be there. And everything that was true of God today is going to be true of God tomorrow is going to be true of God in the future. God is eternal. He never had a beginning. He never had a start. He was never caused to exist or came into existence. He has always existed. He's self-existent. Next week, we're going to look at a name of God that really kind of unwraps and opens that wonderful truth up. So God is eternal. Second, second attribute of God is that he is free. God is free. Now, what's that mean? It means he is independent of his creation. He's independent of his creatures. Okay, so what? <laughs> what does that mean? What's that to do anything? Folks, it's profound. What it means is that God is not tied to you and me. He's not tied to the rocks and the trees. He's not tied to the sun and the moon. He is not tied to any part of his creation. He's not bound to it. He's not obligated to it. He doesn't owe creation anything. Did you hear what I just said? God owes you nothing. He doesn't owe you a chance to know him. He doesn't owe you a chance to be saved. He, he doesn't owe you something good. God owes you. God owes me absolutely nothing. Nothing at all. He is not obligated. There is nothing in creation that can make a demand on God. He's, it, it, nothing in creation is, is God is dependent upon. Is he indebted to? Now, we, when we understand that attribute, do you then understand just how incredible it is that he does come and obligate himself to us? 
He does come and make promises that we can claim. He owes us nothing, and yet right in the middle of us rebelling against Him, He comes and makes His love and His forgiveness available. Folks, what God has done is not because of how good and wonderful we are. It's not because He owed it to us. It's love that did that. God is independent of His creation. Nothing can make a demand on Him. Third attribute, God is immutable. God is immutable. This means God is unchangeable and unchanging. God is never developing. God's never growing or learning. You know, that's kind of a funny thing to say, isn't it? You know, if I came up to you and said, man, I've known you for several years. You haven't developed at all. I, I doubt you would take, I doubt you'd say thank you. Oh, that's wonderful of you to say that. that, that that's, when we say that about something, it sounds like we're saying they're stagnant or they're, or they're stuck or they, they have the inability to develop. But folks, remember what we said about these perfections or, or these attributes, they're in perfection. Perfect love can't become more Perfect. Perfect knowledge can't learn something and gain further knowledge. Perfect knowledge means it's complete. Perfect love means it's complete. There's nowhere else for it to go. You know, we have nothing in this entire world to point to and, and illustrate that. Something can always become more or less. You see, folks, if something can change, you know, if there's something better for God to become, then that means he's less than right now. What, what if he could learn something? Gosh, what if he's doing something in my life and he doesn't have all the knowledge? He's, he hasn't learned that yet. How can I trust him? So, so he can't change positively, but he can't change negatively either. You see how important this is? What, what, what if he lost something? What if he declined? What if he became less? You know, there again, I might get out to eternity and he'd no longer have the power and the knowledge. Then, then I have a God who can't do everything. So he is immutable. He is unchanging. He is absolutely complete. Folks, this is the attribute of God that enables us to always trust all these other attributes. When I talked a moment ago about, about not necessarily understanding what God is doing. You know, well, God, do you have all knowledge? I, I mean, is your knowledge perfect? Is it changing? Can you lose knowledge? No, I can trust because of this attribute and character of God that his knowledge is not changing. He's not losing. He's not gaining. He always has absolute perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge. It means we can always count on him. You know what else that means? That means when I read the God of the Bible, I'm reading the God of right now. When I look into the Bible and I, I see what his attitude is, I see what his actions are, I see what his plans are, I see how he responds to sin. When I look at that, folks, I can know that's the exact same way he's doing it right here and right now. I, I don't have to wonder, is he, is he approaching this differently? Is he, is he doing this differently now? No, he doesn't change. He is exactly the same. We can count on that. So God is immutable. God is infinite. Now, a moment ago, we talked about God being eternal. Those are two different things. Eternal means wherever you go in time, you're going to find God there. Infinite means God's actually above time. You see, time does not define God. You and I are defined by time, aren't we? We're measured by time. God's not measured. God's not defined by time. God's not encapsulated by time. God's not also encapsulated by space. 
You see, there's nothing outside of God containing him, nothing holding him, nothing that directs him. Now, this is a little bit philosophical, but if time encapsulated God, then technically that would make time God. Because time would be holding God. Time would be defining God. Space would be holding God. So God is infinite. He is above. He is outside of time and space. And of course, everything we're saying about all of his attributes is infinite. His love is infinite. It doesn't run out. There's not a measurement on his love that says this is where it stops. That's pretty good news for you and me, isn't it? God's love is infinite. Another attribute. God is holy. We're used, we hear that one, aren't we? We hear that one. What does that mean? It means that God is separate from what is unclean or what is common. Did you notice that word common? Well, you know, a lot of times we, we separate things into good and bad, into right and wrong. And, and we figure God's over here on the good side, God's over here on the right side. Folks, holiness is more than that. God's not only completely separate from what is evil, what is bad, what is wrong. God is separate from what is neutral. Neutral's not good enough. Neutral's not okay. God's not on the fence. He's not on the zero. He's not in the neutral place. God is completely separated, yes, from what is wrong and evil. He's also separated from what is just neutral. And he is wholly separated to what is pure. You know, here again, folks, I can't point to anything out in the world to illustrate this. There is nothing on this planet that is pure. This also says why God doesn't relate with sin. If God pretends like you and I don't sin, if God pretends like it's no big deal, if God, you know, that was a little sin. You know, if he relates to, if he allows a little sin into relationship with him, it doesn't matter how little it is. He's no longer pure anymore, is he? You see, his holiness means he in no way, shape, or form is going to relate at all with sin. And that means sinners. His holiness is completely separate from us. So now we've got a problem, don't we? We've got no access to God. We have no relationship with God unless a way is made for us to be holy. And that way was made through the person of Jesus Christ. When you and I lay hold of Christ, we are declared, it's a legal term, we are declared holy in God's sight. His justice is satisfied. All the demands of justice are met. And now as we've come into that holy relationship with God, then we want to grow in living out that holiness. That means we're going to be sensitive to sin. You know one way to understand holiness? If you're comfortable with sin, I'm not talking about if you're sinning, if you're doing something wrong. I'm just saying if you can be comfortable around it, if you can be comfortable around wrongdoing, if you can be entertained by wrongdoing. That's the opposite of holiness. See, see holiness isn't just not partaking. Holiness is doesn't even relate with it. it's not even near it. So if if you and I are in any place in life comfortable with sin, okay with sin, I can live with it. That's a good illustration of what holiness is not. Holiness is never okay with sin. God is holy. He's always holy. That never changes. God is also love. We like that one, don't we? 
As a matter of fact, that's probably the attribute that we tend to most think about God. God is love. You know what attribute God most communicates about himself? Holy. When when he's revealing himself, the, the attribute he most often communicates is that he is holy. The one we cling to, the one we like is God is love. Now, what does that mean? You know, what, what does that mean that God is love? When we think of love, we think of doing good things. We think of things that make us feel good. Love certainly inspires that. But love is more than that. Love does what is best. Love does what is the highest good in somebody else's life. And we can define that highest good. The highest good is anything that enables somebody to know and enjoy and glorify God. Why is that the highest good? Because that's what I said a moment ago. That's what you were designed for. You were designed to know and enjoy and glorify God. And when you and I are doing that, then we're living in our design. And that's where our greatest fulfillment is going to be. That's where our greatest happiness is going to be. So the most loving thing God can do is anything that brings us to know, to enjoy and to glorify him. And God is always doing that. He's always using all of life's circumstances, all of life's events to bring that about in our life. By the way, this is a excuse me. This is also the most loving thing we can do for each other. The most loving thing we can do for each other is encourage each other, aid each other, help each other in knowing and growing and glorifying, enjoying God. That's the most loving thing we can do. You realize if you've got friends that you see lost. You say, I don't want to offend them. That's the most unloving thing you can do because you're not helping them come to a place where they can know and enjoy and glorify God. You're not helping them live within their design. As a matter of fact, you may even be part of hiding that design from them because you won't share it. You won't tell it. That's not love. Love does what connects somebody to their creator. You know, what's interesting. We think about love the exact opposite when it comes to God of what it is. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if I want to enjoy God, well, I just I just learned a second ago that that God's holy and he's made this path. He's made this way through Jesus Christ where I can be holy and I come into that relationship. And if I'm going to enjoy him, then I'm going to live in holiness. God calls me to holiness. God commands holiness all through scripture. He defines, he explains, uh, he illustrates what this looks like. Now, there are places in my life where I'm not always holy. There are times when I've not acted holy. You know what God's going to do? He's going to discipline me. As a matter of fact, the way the Bible says it, it says this, those whom he loves, he disciplines. Now, I don't know anybody who likes to be disciplined. I've got four kids. They've never once said, Dad, you know, it's been a while. Could you discipline me today? Never feels good to be disciplined. We don't like to be disciplined, but God loves us. And so he disciplines us. You know why? Because sin is always destructive. Sin always separates us from what we were designed to be. So the most unloving thing God can do is pretend like that sin's not there. And yet when we talk about God being loving, that's kind of what we're counting on. Aren't we? That's where statements like, how could a loving God send people to hell? Or when we think about God being loving, what we're counting on is is that, you know, I know I've done some bad things, but I've done a lot of good things too. God, why don't you and I just focus on the good things and just ignore those bad things? 
You see, we're counting on God to go, ah, I know you guys did your best. Ah, I know, I know you're trying real hard. Oh boy, whoo, boy, y'all had a good week. Lots of good things this week. And we just want him to turn and look and pretend like there's no sin there. Folks, that's not love. Any sin, any sin, any amount, any, any kind of sin, it is destructive to you and it's impure to God. It's not loving to ignore that. So God never is going to ignore that because he loves you. He's going to discipline you. God is love. And we got three more attributes here. We call these the omnis. I'm not talking about where the Atlanta Hawks play. The omnis, three attributes. First of all, he's omnipotent. This means God has all power. There is nothing impossible to God. He can do anything and everything. We have a name of God we're going to look at next week, the Almighty. And that expresses this attribute of God. That name is used of him 56 times in Scripture. God can do anything. Now, as soon as you say God can do anything, what obviously comes to your mind is, what's anything? I mean, can he do anything, anything? Or can he just do anything? Which anything can he do? Is there anything that he anything can't do? Well, yeah, there is actually two things God can't do. They're called a, it's a natural limitation and it's a self-imposed limitation. What's a natural limitation? That is something God doesn't do because it's against his nature. In other words, God, God can do anything, but God cannot lie. You know why? Because he's truth. He can't lie. You know, God has never lied. God has never deceived. God has never covered up anything in your life. God also cannot sin. You know why? Because he's holy. He doesn't relate with sin. He's not a part of sin. He doesn't use sin. God's holy. So he cannot sin. Now, I don't know about you. I don't really call those restrictions. <laughs> I wouldn't call that something that makes him less than. But, but can you use the word can't with God? Yes, he can't sin. He can't lie. God also has self-imposed limitations. I mean, if God can do anything, well, gosh, couldn't he have come up for with a plan to save us that, that spared his son the cross? Well, yeah, he could have. But he chose not to. Could, could God have come up with a plan where nobody went to hell? There was no need for a hell. Well, I mean, yeah, if he can do anything, he could have. But he chose not to. If God can do anything, could he create a life where his followers, you and me, that we go through life without any trials? Yeah, there's a lot of trials and suffering and evil in this world, but, but I'm a follower of Christ. Can you, can you put a bubble around me, God, so none of that ever touches or hits me? Well, if he can do anything, then yeah, he can do that. But he didn't. Now, remember what we said about these attributes? They're all working together. So when I see something in my life where, gosh, Lord, it seems like you could have, should have healed there. Seems like you could have protected me there. Seems like you could have provided something there. God, why didn't you use your power to do that? Then that's when I've got to trust that while he has the power to do that. That actually was not the most loving thing he could have done. Because you see, I know that while he did not use that power, he's still doing the most loving thing he could do. I've got to trust, we're going to look at it in a second, his knowledge. I've got to trust that this was the wisest and best thing to do. So I'm trusting in all of his attributes at the same time. You know, the greatest demonstration of God's power, of course, is in the person of Christ. 
We might want a plan that spares the son the cross. But folks, it was that Friday, that Saturday, that Sunday that was the greatest demonstration we've ever seen of God's power where he conquered sin and death and the grave. And that same power he used to resurrect his son is the same power he's going to use to save you and me. To keep you and me saved. It's the same power he's going to use to resurrect us out of the grave and transform us into a new body that will last forever and ever. God can do anything. Now, we like to ask really stupid questions about God's power. You know, we're going to trick God. We're, we're going to catch him. You know, famous, famous questions like, well, if God is all powerful, can he make a rock so big he can't pick it up? Some of, some, some of you are trying to catch up with that. Make a rock so big he can't pick it up. The, the question is a contradiction. The answer doesn't mean anything. It's an irrelevant question. Or if God's all powerful, can he make two plus two equal six? Well, folks, that's like asking if a nuclear bomb can make two plus two equal six. It's irrelevant. The answer has no meaning and it doesn't express any deficiency. God is all powerful. He can do anything and everything. Nothing is impossible with him. Another omni of God. He's not only omnipotent, he is also omnipresent. That means God is everywhere present. 100% of God is in this room right now. But it also means that 100% of God is outside of this room. 100% of God is everywhere else, 100% in the universe. In other words, when we say omnipresence, you know, don't, don't think of God. You know, there's the center of the universe and that's where God is. And then he, he just kind of wobbles and starts diluting until his whole presence, you know, spreads out over the whole universe. And when you get way out here to the end of the universe, boy, get, God gets kind of thinned out. God gets kind of diluted. No, that, that's not what happened. 100% of God is right here. 100% of God is over here. God is everywhere present at the same time. Now, obviously, there's varying degrees of experiencing God's presence. People in heaven are going to experience God's presence different than people in hell. Now, a lot of times we define hell by saying that's the place where you're totally separated from God. You know, technically, that's not true. A hundred percent of God is in hell because there's no place that God is not. He is everywhere. But when you're in hell, you will have zero ability to enjoy or to experience or to draw from what the presence of God can be. You know, some, that is somewhat the same true today here on earth when you and I are, are living in sin, when we're living for self, when we're not interested or devoted to the things of God, that is going to greatly hamper our ability, my ability to enjoy the fact that God is here with me right now. It's going to hurt my ability to draw from that presence, to get guidance, to get comfort, to get hope. He's here. I am never, I've never been anywhere. There was not a hundred percent of God. But I've lived in ways and I've done things that kept me from enjoying the fact that he was here and he was with me. You know, if you think about it, God being everywhere, that's both a comfort and a warning. I mean, on the one hand, man, I am never alone. Never. God is always with me. On the other hand, I am never alone. God is always here with me. That means he saw that. Whoops. 
a warning and a comfort. Now, I want to correct something a little bit. Folks, a lot of times uh, other religions, cults will pick up things that sound very biblical, that sound like what we teach. New Age movement, Eastern religion has a it draws a belief off of this that sounds very similar. It's called pantheism. Pantheism means all is God. And they take this attribute of God omnipresence and they say, you know what? God is in everywhere and God is in everything. And what pantheism does is when God gets in everything, it stirs it all up and it makes it one. So God is in the tree and so the tree is God. God is in you, so you are God. And we're saying, is that right? You know, I think the Bible says that God's in me. It talks about us being children of God. So I guess he says that I'm God. Yeah. No, that's not what omnipresence is saying. Omnipresence puts God everywhere, but he is still distinct from everything. In other words, 100% of God is inside you as a believer of Jesus Christ, but God's not you and you're not God. You say, well, how can I be sure? Well, I got a little test for you. Go out to the lake today. Just take a little walk across it. God will be in you as you sink to the bottom. You're not God and God's not you. But the good news is 100% of God is always with you. One last omni. This is omniscience. God knows everything. God knows everything actual. Now, folks, this is really fun. God knows everything actual. He also knows everything possible. Not only does God know everything that is happening or is going to happen, He knows every single variation of how that event could unfold. He knows everything that could have happened. He knows everything perfectly. You know what? God never discovers anything. God never learns anything. Do you realize that the living God in all of eternity has never gone, huh? Never. He already knew it. You know what is so comforting about this? You know, folks, a lot of us in here, we know each other pretty well. We've been coming here to church for a while and we're good friends. And, and, and we would even say, man, I love some of y'all. Sometimes all of you. I mean, I got good relationships in here. But you know what? As good as relationships as most of us have in here, most of us also have some things in our life that we hope nobody else in this room ever finds out about. As a matter of fact, some of us would be afraid, a little bit anxious, that you know what? If you knew that I did that, if you learned that about me, you wouldn't like me. More than one of us feels that way in here. Maybe most of us feel that way in here. If you knew that about me. You know what, folks? You never have to have that anxiety with God. Ever. Because he already knew. When he sent his son into this world, he knew every wrong thing about you, past, present, and future. When you came to that place in your life where you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord and He forgave you, He already knew everything about you. Past, present, and future. God is never going to discover something about you that goes, Oh, I can't believe. He'll never just slowly turn and walk away once He finds that out about you. Because there is nothing He's going to find out about you. He knows everything. You know what else is really cool about this? I love this one. This is one of my favorite ones. Folks, when God issues a command, do you realize that it comes from this perfect knowledge? Remember what I said about actual and possible? So when God says, do not lie, 
He knows every scenario under the sun. He knows every possible thing telling the truth is going to do. He knows every possible thing that telling a lie is going to do. He knows what it's going to do in that moment. He knows what it will affect the next day. He knows what it will mean 10 years from now. He knows what it will mean after you're dead and gone. You do realize you make decisions, you do things that have ramifications beyond your life. God can see and know all of that. And it is in that knowledge that he says, don't lie. It never works. I know. Folks, you can go through every single command of Scripture and work at it that way. When God says sex, the beauty, the wonder, the power of a sexual relationship is experienced between one man and one woman inside and only inside of marriage. Remember, God in his knowledge has looked out there and he has seen every variation, every single possibility, all of the ramifications on our physical health, our emotional health, our relational health. He has seen every bit of it and it is out of that knowledge, he says, it only works one way. And some of us in here say, well, you know what? I'm in that one way, and I, and I don't know. It's not going to be working very well for me. Well, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you something. If it's not working well for you, I will take you to a place in your life where you stepped outside of God's design, and you're living with the ramifications today. We can be forgiven. God forgives But see, the reason he issues that command, he says, you know what? If you do this, I know what it's going to do. I know what it's going to do in your life tomorrow. I know what it's going to do in your life a year from now. I know what it's going to do in your life 25 years from now. Don't do it. Folks, it is out of a perfect love. It is out of a perfect wisdom that God issues every single command. Folks, again, when you and I are are struggling with what in the world is God doing? I don't see him. I don't understand him. I can't tell what he's doing here. Then maybe what I fall back and have faith on is that whatever he's doing, he's doing it with perfect knowledge. He's doing it with the best knowledge and he's only going to do what is best. Okay, three more. Good gracious. We're heading to the barn fast now. Okay, you ready? He is righteous. You know what that is? Somewhat sounds a lot like holiness, but they are different. Holiness is... It relates to God's purity. Righteousness relates to justice. Righteous means that God always does what is right by you and by every situation. God has never wronged anybody. I think this is probably the attribute we most attack. I think mankind attacks this attribute of God more than any other because mankind every single day charges God with wrongdoing. Well, God should have done this. Well, if God was loving, he would have been here. He would have healed. He would have fixed. He would have protected. He would have provided. We charge God with wrongdoing all of the time. Folks, Revelation, at the end of Revelation, it paints a picture of us being before the throne there at the end of time. And we're going to see all of time laid out. We're going to see the big picture. Do you realize you have never once made a decision your entire life with the big picture in mind? We have no knowledge of the big picture. We have no perfect knowledge. But we're going to be there. We're going to see it all painted out. And do you know what attribute we're going to praise of God? His righteousness. One day we're going to look at our life and every single thing that happened. 
Every single way it unfolded. That place we thought he wasn't there. That place we thought he didn't care. That place he didn't heal. He didn't provide. We're going to see every single thing he did. We're going to go, oh my gosh. I thought you were wrong. And you were perfectly right. It wasn't just that he did a, oh, well, that, yeah, that did work out pretty good. No, 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 no. It's not just that he did a good thing and I just missed it. No, he did what was exactly right and perfect. And when we see all of life unfolded, we will look up at the throne of Christ and we will say, I praise you for your righteousness. You never did a single thing wrong. You never did a single thing unfair. He is righteous. God is sovereign. This means God is completely in control. This refers to his, uh, first of all, to his position in the world. He is the chief being, the supreme being. It refers to his power. He is in complete control of everything. Now, we have a little bit of problems with this. If God is completely in control of everything, then doesn't that make him responsible for evil? I mean, the Bible says he isn't, there's nothing that happens that outside of his control. Well, then that means evil happened under his control. Well, the Bible also affirms that God's not the author of evil. He didn't create evil. He doesn't send evil. Now, God uses evil that has been done in our lives to bring about good, but he didn't send the evil so that he could do that good. You say, well, I, that's hard to justify. That's hard to bring those two things together, that God's in absolute and complete control, and yet evil has happened, and he's not responsible for that. Well, and then there's another thing we would say or, or another question we'd have. If God's in complete control, do we really have freedom? I mean, I can go to Psalm 139 and it says God has ordained every day of my life. It was ordained. It was predetermined the day I entered this world, the day I'm going to leave this world and every event in between. Well, gosh, that sounds like that just kind of makes me a robot walking through life. And by the way, if everything's been predetermined, and, and God's in control of everything, then, then how come I'm held responsible for my sins? How come I'm held responsible for my choices? You were in control of all that. Well, the Bible says that under the umbrella of God's control, we are free beings. He's absolutely in control of our life. And yet inside of that, we are making free choices. Well, that's, that's hard to justify. That's hard to understand. Well, here's how I would answer that, folks. God didn't ask you to justify it. He didn't ask you to make sense of it. He didn't need you to defend him. You know, folks, there are things God does, and the Bible says this. You're never going to get it. You're not going to understand it. Now, I've grown comfortable with that. I can't say you have. I've grown comfortable with it, and here's why. If God was limited to doing what fit in my brain, we'd be in trouble. I don't think your brain's any better. Think about that. If God could only do what I could process, what I could see, what I could understand, he'd be severely limited, wouldn't he? I don't know about y'all. I need a God that's doing something bigger than what my mind can process, that is doing something bigger than what I can get my arms around. I need a God like that. So inside of that God, there's going to be ways that he works. I, I, can't quite put, I can't quite put together how he's in control of everything, and yet I am a free being, but the scripture affirms both. I can't quite put together that he is in absolute control, and yet evil and suffering are there, and he's not responsible for it. But the scripture affirms both. I know this, one day I'm going to get to heaven, I'm going to see how it all comes together, and I'm going to look up and I'm going to praise how 
righteous he is. One last truth. <laughs> we got there. No, running late. Truth. He is true. This means God is absolutely consistent with himself. It means he's always telling the truth. No lie. No deceit in him. He's never uh, deceiving, covering anything up. It also means he's true to himself. He is always going to be holy. He is always going to be righteous. He is always going to be loving. He's going to be true to who he is. Now, folks, it is everything we just presented that when we hear the phrase, have faith in God, that's what we're trusting in. And that's just a glimpse. We've barely taken a look at this stuff this morning. But when we say, have faith in God, I'm trusting that in this moment, while I can't see it, He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is here. He is working in a way that is loving. He is working in a way that is holy. He is working in a way that is righteous. That's what I'm holding on to. That's what our faith is in. And that's why I said a moment ago, folks, that the greatest and highest pursuit in your life is to grow in this understanding, to develop your understanding of these truths of God because the success of your life The ability to walk through this life and remain holding on to God is based on this faith. I've recommended a book there in your bulletin called uh, by A.W. Tozier called The Knowledge of the Holy. It is a thin book. It's the first one I've presented that's kind of small. And it takes about 20 attributes and it writes just about six or seven pages on each attribute. It is wonderful. It is inspiring. It will help you understand more and more of that attribute and study it. Folks, you need to go back and study all these things. Study what Scripture says about them and grow in your faith in each of these attributes. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you not just to go get the book and read it. I'd encourage you to go get the book and read it five times in the next two years. Let this sink in so that when life hits, and it's going to hit, isn't it? And you reach out to grab a hold. Your faith is deep and your faith is strong. He's awesome, isn't he? Come back next week. The list is shorter and I'm going to have a handout so I can go faster. I promise. Okay, listen, we're running a little bit late. I want to move right in now to our time of invitation. If you want to know personally, can you imagine that? The opportunity to know personally this great God we described. He sounds so far from us, doesn't he? But through the person of Jesus Christ, he can be your father. He can be your best friend. He can be your savior and your Lord. When you turn from sin, turn from trusting in yourself and come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know a little bit more about a relationship with him, I would encourage you in just a second. Our congregation is going to stand and sing. Would you come forward? Tell one of these pastors, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And let us talk about what this wonderful God wants to be and do inside of your life. Take just a few moments to change your life. This moment is what God has for you. Maybe you're here today and you want to become a member of this church. Just come forward, tell one of these pastors, I want to be a member here. We'll help you with that decision. As you stand and sing, you come.